spins a web any size. Catch the seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. This is episode 12 of the show. My name is John Wilson, and I'm your host this evening, along with my friends Josh Bertoni and Donovan Grant. We are joined once again this episode by Michael Bailey of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, Views from the Longbox, Tales of the JSA, and of course the Spider-Man Crawl Space panel. But before we get into the show, I do want to just make a little note here. Um, normally, I do try to stay, I don't want to use the word professional because we have gone off on so many unprofessional bents, but I do try to treat all of my hosts and co-hosts with professional regard. And if anybody does anything to embarrass themselves on the show, I generally cut it out to uh, make everybody look good. Um, something is going to happen over the course of this episode that would normally fall into that category of, I will cut this out, but the person was a good sport about it and thought we should leave it in and just let the gag go. So it's not really that big a deal, but I didn't want you to think that I was trying to let this person look bad. So this episode, we are going to be covering annual season of 1964, where Amazing Spider-Man saw its first annual published, featuring the Sinister Six, as well as the beginning of its reprint series coming out in annual form, Marvel Tales. We'll be talking about that, but first, we want to get to your emails. And now, back to the show. What we want to do now is jump into some email that we've received from the listeners. If you want to have your emails read on the air, please feel free to write us and give us your opinions on the show and on the uh, comics that we're talking about at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. The um, the first one I'm going to read is from Stephen Lacey from WorldOfSuperman.blogspot.com. And that blog, it's a um, post-crisis Superman blog, somewhat in a similar vein to From Crisis to Crisis, the podcast that Michael Bailey produces and... Yet, he's doing it in chronological order, and so a lot of the later issues that were done that take place during those first seven years of Man of Steel, he is um, blogging about in the order in which they occurred. And so, it, it's he's got some good stuff to say. I've been enjoying the blog, and I do recommend it if you want to check it out as a Superman fan. Um, he says, hey guys, Steve here. Uh, from worldofsuperman.blogspot.com with a little bit of feedback on your latest episode. First of all, it was great to have you guys back. I was really starting to miss you guys. And your comments to Amazing Spider-Man number 7, and this was the Vulture issue, the second Vulture issue, you refer to a letter from Paul Gambaccini, but only in the context of Stanley's deference to the competition, in contrast to his later stance. Unfortunately, you have missed out on two notable firsts for Amazing Spider-Man. The first is that Paul Gambaccini, at the young age of 13, is the first celebrity to write into Amazing Spider-Man. Paul has forged a career in the UK as a music journalist and DJ, and is generally regarded as one of the most knowledgeable and respected music journalists. Paul has had a long-standing interest in comics, and in fact, in the same month as this issue of Amazing Spider-Man, a character named Paul Gamby appeared in The Flash number 141, named in honor of Paul. Paul also co-owned a comic shop in the UK with Jonathan Ross, the current writer of the series Turf, and the UK's closest equivalent to David Letterman. Jonathan is also a huge comics fan. I once queued in Forbidden Planet with him chatting about our purchases. And for those who need a translation, queued means get in line and stood there for a long time with. And he says, who recently auctioned one of his three copies of Amazing Fantasy 15 to benefit a nation charity called Children in Need. And I don't know if you guys have heard of Paul Gambaccini. I honestly haven't. Steve's from the UK, so he knows... But that I, was uh, like a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, thank you for the info. I uh, had no clue. And the second thing he mentions is one we should have mentioned. He says the second first is the use of the word ek, as in not brand ek. Although the word was used by Paul in his letter, numerous websites attribute the origination of the phrase not brand ek to this letter. And finally, before I go, I have a request. Oh, and this is something I've actually started using. He says, could you use your Facebook page to announce the issues covered by the podcast in advance of the episode's release? No. I'm thinking along with Amazing Spider-Man on my 40 years of the Amazing Spider-Man 14 CD set. You should have held out for the DVD. But I currently own very few of the appearances outside of the core title. It'd be great to have a heads up so I can read the issues in advance of the episode or perhaps dive through some long boxes at my local comic shop to see if they have and if I can afford any of them. Keep up the great work, Steve. So yes, I have started doing that on the Facebook page for Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I, uh, I forgot to this month, but um, I did it about a week ago, what we'd be talking about. So yes, Steve, Merry Christmas. There you go. He says that uh, we were gone for a while. I didn't know we, we were gone for a while, but apparently I we, think there's, there's a difference between recording and actually putting the episodes out. I yeah, there are usually a couple of weeks between the last episode of a month and the first episode of the next month. Um, it's not, I'm not quite doing a weekly release schedule just because our recording schedule hasn't permitted it yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I've not heard of uh, Paul Gambaccini, but John, I know Jonathan Ross, because Jonathan Ross was the guy who did that Ditko uh, documentary. Like a few years ago, which I actually did an art project on. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever seen that. It was taken out from YouTube immediately, but that was kind of cool. But now, I'm not hurt. I'm not, I did not know about any of this. So. I did not either. I have not seen that Steve Ditko show. I don't know. You have, Mike? No, I have not. Okay. I would like to. But then again, Steve Ditko is crazy. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Alan Moore is on there. <laughs> There's a documentary that came out in the mid-80s, and it was hosted by Harlan Ellison called Comic Book Masters, and they interviewed 10 artists from uh, from Neil Adams to Jack Kirby to Bernie Wrightson. And when it came time for Steve Ditko, he just read a manifesto. Wow. And that was, that was his end of it. And it was just like, wow, you're, you're crazy, aren't you? <laughs> And then he said, yes, and then they went to someone else. Well, no, then he wrote like a 16-page single-spaced letter about how everything I do is wrong. So but that's okay, because, <laughs> you know, he's right. There was black, and there was white, and there is nothing in between. Like, that's his exactly. best like, But we really, really like Steve Ditko's artwork on Spider-Man in the 60s. Yes. <laughs> So we, we, we are grateful to the universe for giving him to us just for that. Thank you, God. So next, Josh is going to read an email from Andrew Leyland, also from the UK. Hi, guys. Loving the new podcast. I just listened to the fourth edition, and some of it was very funny. Kudos. And getting an email from Stan, how cool was that? Anyway, I've been listening with interest to this retcon debate, i.e. Amazing Fantasies issues 16 through 18, Chapter 1, Untold Tales, etc. Given that Spider-Man is one of the most retcon characters in comics, why don't you take a break every now and then and do a special episode about these retcons? You could do a show about Amazing Fantasies issues 16 through 18, what worked, what didn't, how it couldn't work, etc. at around the time they take place in continuity. Just a quick side note from this email, uh, we actually missed that boat because those took place between Amazing Fantasy 15 and issue 1 of Amazing, so it wouldn't be around the time they take place in continuity. Then a few weeks later, do a Chapter 1 show after you reach that point in continuity. Not more than one episode on Chapter 1, though. And then maybe a few episodes on Untold Tales. I know the point is a chronological look at Spider-Man, so much of his backstory was grafted on later. This may be a nice way of looking at it. Anyway, I'm enjoying the show. Keep it up. Andrew Leyland from the UK. 
P.S. What did you think of the modern coloring of the Craven stories in the recent Return of the Hunter one-shots? Um, I read that. We do have actually an idea in the works for something like that, Andrew. The thing is, the problem is that I'm kind of the engine behind the show. And when it comes to orders and lists and such things like that, my brain will not let me stray very easily from you know what I perceive as the correct order. I actually have issues with that. So um, I think that your idea has merit. I'm just not sure if my psyche will let me do it to do stuff out of order. But there are some ideas that we're kicking around, so we'll let you know if some of those take place. Andrew, uh, I don't remember anything about the coloring in that Return of the Hunter one-shot, sorry. I'd probably be very, very opposed, though, to an Untold Tales of Spider-Man episode, because as you know, I just absolutely hate that series and think that it should just be for... Sargasm alert! (laughs) I fell for it. Yeah, you did, because I, I only talk about it in, like, you know, in gush every single episode. That'd be well, funny. What I was if thinking I'm... is, like, have you secretly been hating it and just bringing it to the play <laughs> that actually applied, but you really didn't like it all this time? It, it would be funny if we went back and did an Untold Tales episode, and, like, it just fell apart, and I realized that it actually sucked this whole time. <laughs> That'd be cool. So, mm-hmm. thank you both for writing in. We'd have an interesting email that got sent to us from Mr. Tyler Crone, and he actually recorded his email voice-wise, and we're going to play that for the show right now. Hey, John, Bertoni, Donovan, whoever else is on, on this particular month, because I don't Hello. know who it will be at this point. Uh, I was just going to tell you guys that you are doing a wonderful job on the Amazing Spider-Man Classics. I, I can't stop laughing. I, I seriously almost wet myself on episode <laughs> 7 when you guys were talking about the old ads. Uh, I can't remember which particular part I was listening to because I think I laughed so hard I damaged a few brain cells. But you guys, you guys are just amazing. I I hope you guys do get to go on and do every single issue, but I have a feeling that isn't feasible. So I at least hope that you get to do, you know, at least until the Marvel Wolfman run like you guys wanted to. Uh, I can't wait to hear the next episode. And I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but my name is Tyler Crone. I'm on Spider-Man Crawl Spaces, Spider-Pool 279. So, yeah, I will be talking to you later. Bye. Thank you for writing in, Tyler. Be sure to uh, wear a diaper when you're listening to future episodes. We don't want you, you know, wetting yourself and causing an accident. Glad we could bring the funny, man. <laughs> Tyler is Spider-Pool because he is a Spider-Man fan and a Deadpool fan, and he has his own Deadpool podcast called Of Mercs and Mutants. And he and, sits in a uh, pool of his own pee from, you know, laughing so far. <laughs> <laughs> we hope not. <laughs> we would love, I mean, I don't know what tone came across, we talked about this before, but I would absolutely love to do this show forever. I just don't know, you know, what that's going to be like, you know, a year from now. But yeah, I'd love to get through the Jerry Conway run, the Marv Wolfman run, get into, you know, the Roger Stern stuff from the 80s. That would be fantabulous awesomeness for me. We'll just have to see how it goes. It's true. It's true. You can do it! <laughs> well, we'll, 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 be, we'll be going over just amazing or like when 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 the times comes when the spectacular starts up, will we hit that as well? I was planning on doing all the Spider-Man books. Um, oh God! <laughs> my thought in my head is that when we get to where there's like three books a month, that we'll just do two months worth of comics on you know on a month-long recording. Look, no, but nobody would ever listen to a podcast where two guys sit around talking about, or three guys in this case, sit around talking about all the books that came out in a month of a particular character. I just I think it's a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know even where. Certainly no one from DC either. I mean, no, no, no. 
Donovan, I just realized that, like, now, I know that this is not going to happen, cut to, like, decades later when this happens, though, but if we get up to the 90s and the Clone Saga, we'll be, like, covering the same issues. Dude, I, I, I thought about that for a while, like, I, because that's why I know we'll never get that far, because we were basically, like, repeating ourselves, repeating call space, doing the whole same thing over and over that's again. That's my thought, is that we're never going to get that far. I mean, exactly. who knows what's going to happen. Uh, the, it'll be like a time loop, and we'll, we'll run into each other. <laughs> oh look there's Donovan recording we're gonna be oh look yeah here here's the recording of us talking about I'll just like you know cut and paste Miles warning Winston <laughs> I thought it was crap back then and I think it's crap now <laughs> well thanks Tyler for uh, I would say writing in but for uh, sending in the recording and anyone else at listener land be like Tyler record your emails if you want to and we'll, we'll play them you can have a voice on the show there's another uh, email from Stephen Lacey Donovan you have that Lois oh, yes. Lane is dead. It's, t- it's a funny title. Lois Lane is dead. This is not an imaginary email, and neither is this, is this email a robot. Hi, John, <laughs> Donovan, Bertoni, and uh, Michael. He says Jeffrey, but it's Michael now. They've regenerated. Steve here from robotsvlogspot.com <laughs> with a little bit of feedback. I love the latest supersized episode of ASC, which I listened to across a very slow day following a manic overnight shift. I particularly enjoyed the guest appearance from Betty Brandt, and I hope she pops up again. Oh, she will uh, popping up. Oh, yes. That's what she said. Oh, God. (laughs) One element of note was a wonderful sidestep into the imaginary Superman stories. Whilst listening to this segment, I couldn't help but think of a wonderful review of another dead Lois issue of Superman. Superman 215 from my friend Tom O. over at randomlogbox.com. I want to interrupt you. He puts a link here. I will put this link in the show notes. It's one of the best Superman is a dick reviews I've ever read, and the vlog is pretty good as well. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say, and I've managed to spend time plugging someone else's blog while they haven't even asked me to. Keep up the great podcasting, Steve. That's the best email title I've read <laughs> all Not a year. robot. I can't remember which of the three we got into the long tangent on the um, Superman DC stories, but uh, we ha- that, that was pretty fun to talk about. Thank you, Steve, for writing in. Yeah, I think, unlike Mike, I did grow up thinking that DC and Marvel should be opposite sides of the tracks. And um, I spent a lot of time making fun of DC as the little comic company that could kind of thing. And obviously, I did not know what I was talking about because now in the last couple of years, I've actually been reading some DC. And I like it. I like a, It's a definitely different animal to Marvel for much of its history. Now, I don't really see a whole lot of difference between the two. It's just, you know, which characters no. you like and which pawns they play in. But yeah, we'll bring the Superman Silver Age anytime it applies. <laughs> So Steve Rogers writes in. This is another member of the Spider-Man Crawl Space message board. Um, He has an email entitled Lee Ditko Question. Hey guys, Jeffrey's appearances last month reminded me of a discussion he and Michael Bailey had on a recent From Crisis to Crisis about the importance of Stan Lee as compared to the artists that he worked with in crafting the Marvel Universe of the Silver Age. I got name dropped in that conversation. The my I John, not I Steve. That was kind of kind of cool and weird to hear my name coming out of my podcast. Y'all's podcast. Anyways, basically it was a tangent of the tangent off of the cult of personality that the king, Jack Kirby, for those listeners that don't know, when Kirby moved to DC in the nineteen seventies, many of his creations, specifically the new gods, were and still are a part of the Superman mythos. Mythos, 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 I don't know. Jack Kirby has, and to a lesser extent Steve Ditko, in terms of his legions of fans believing that Jack, along with Steve and other creators of the House of Ideas in the 60s, doesn't get enough of the credit. Odd, considering the amount of credit Jack does get, in getting the Marvel Universe as we know it started. 
This notion is further fueled by Kirby's survivors now wanting a bigger amount of cash now that Disney owns Marvel. And I guess the general resentment that essentially the public face of Marvel for decades, Stan Lee, gets a greater amount of credit in their eyes due to the fact that Lee is very much a huckster's huckster and is always out there making appearances and getting his name out there for mass audiences to know, while chances are the masses wouldn't know Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko from Kirby Puckett and Steve Lombardozzi. Okay, maybe Puckett the masses will know, since he was a very popular player and eventually Hall of Famer, but they are both members of the 1987 World Series winning Minnesota Twins baseball team. So, dear panelists, the question is, in terms of Spider-Man, and to a greater extent all the other books of the age that Stan wrote, how much credit do you think Smiling Stan actually deserves, as opposed to his artists, who of course were the plotters of the day, and Stan just incentered the words? Some. Or do you think Stan gets too much credit simply because he was the one that was very much, and still to this day, I suppose, an attention whore, and therefore the perception is that his role is greater than it actually was? It's actually kind of ironic because, like, just today, um, I was driving around with my brother to get a haircut, and like we were talking about the whole Bob Kane, Bill Finger thing, where you know, uh, Bob Kane, Bob, Bill Finger, who was a writer, didn't get as much credit in creating Batman as he should have. In terms of Stan Lee, though, I think the easy thing is to kind of. Um, like, you know, shove all the blame on Stanley for when the artists don't get enough credit. But Stanley's also the same guy who was writing everything, like, you know, putting the letters and the the dialogue in pretty much every book. And I don't think that it's ne- necessary to blame him for any lost artist credit when he was working with the plots. I mean, you you know for a fact how much artists put in there. Were, were they publicly given a lot of credits? Like, in terms of, like, you know, media representation? Not as much as probably they probably deserved as much as Stan Lee, but I still think they got they got a certain amount of recognition when they started, when Marvel started crediting the um, artists and writers. So I think, oh, Stan Lee was stealing the credit. It's something that people would like to believe just so they can kind of have someone to point the bad guy hat onto. Well, another thing, uh, another thing is that comics in general didn't have credits, both Marvel and DC. You didn't have a credits box saying who was writing and who was drawing. That's why you have to go to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at dcindexes.com to find out who wrote or drew a comic unless you automatically recognize their style. So whenever Stan started putting those credit boxes with his name and the artist's name and, you know, teasing the letterer and stuff because the letterers basically just have slavish jobs, <laughs> the credits of the writer and the artist was a new thing and a good thing. And now in modern days, we have, you know, every creator on a comic getting tons of recognition on the Internet and in the news announcements. And, oh, my gosh, this team is going to be on this book and that team is going to be on that book and it's going to be great. But. I do think that Stan gets credit for starting that trend, and I think the artists did get a lot of recognition in their day. Well, actually, um, Julius Schwartz was putting the credits in the books back in the fifty, the late fifties. Was he by, already Stan by this was, time? Yeah. Oops. Oh, yeah. It you know it, it would just be like the writer and the penciler and the editor, but DC was one of the first companies to actually put the credits in the books. Okay. Well, here's my. Um, <laughs> post-1955 knowledge of DC non-existent, because um, I've read up to 1955, and I've stopped. <laughs> I need to get back to that project. I just have so many other things I'm reading right now for, you know, some, some podcasts that I do. I don't know, I don't know about those. My but. life, and welcome to it. <laughs> it's the whole, I can't read the stuff I want to read, because I have to read the stuff I have to read for the shows I want to do, but it's still taking away from the stuff I want to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a quandary. So Steve Rogers wrote a PS in a separate email. He said, oh, Bertone Beetle, I know Frank Buck wasn't the inspiration and he didn't kill any of his animals. But how did you not jump in with a continuing adventures of Bungalow Bill reference? Mostly because I 
didn't know who Frank Buck was, and I was just going with the flow. Ah, well, there you go. I had no clue who he was a month before we read that issue. I just found out yeah. when we read the issue, and I was like, hey, I know who this, who this guy is now. So thank you, everybody, who wrote in. And again, AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com is the email address if you want to write in. We're going to turn the attention back to comics. Now, before we do the Amazing Spider-Man annual, I think an event worth mentioning is the beginning of publication of Marvel Tales, which happened at the same time. Uh, now, this started out as an annual. It went bi-monthly, then it went quarterly, and then finally went monthly. And the number of books reprinted in each issue also fluctuated until it went exclusively to Amazing Spider-Man at the same time that it went monthly in 1972. I, I may give this title a mention as we go along as far as what Spider-Man books are getting reprinted as we go, but I might not. So just in case I nix that, I wanted to give it some attention here. Uh, did any of you guys buy Marvel Tales when you were younger to read the Spidey backstories? By the time I was younger and buying the backstories, it was in a series called, ironically enough, Spider-Man Classics. Oh, and that Marvel didn't last long, did it? Mar- yeah, Marvel Tales was done. And then once once that well ran dry, I found the essentials and there was no going back. That's right. Y'all are younger than I. Mike, did you ever uh, pick up any Marvel Tales issues? Yeah. I liked them. I still like them. I I bought a bunch out of a 50 cent box a couple years ago. Uh, And they're great because you could just, you get a chance to read these old issues. They're in color. And that to me, you know, it's, I I like the essentials. In fact, when I read the books that we've been talking about this week and and this annual, I actually read it from the essential, but there's something about seeing it in color and Marvel tales really are cheap back issues. Even the uh, Todd McFarlane covers. Which is a general book and comic trend of reprints being so much cheaper than originals. If you want to get color art, Marvel Tales is the way to go. The thing about Marvel Tales is that it would occasionally leave out issues. It would skip. And then when it reprinted issues, it would often leave out panels or pages. So it wasn't exactly like the original theatrical release of the comics. A lot of times. Yeah, um, that annoyed me. That's an, that's a big reason why I didn't track them down, because I heard about that. Yeah, if I were the man I am now, living in the late 80s, getting these books, and I found that out, it would irk me to no end. I mean, I'd still buy them, because how else are you going to read old Spideys on the cheap way back then? But um, by the time the book reached issue 136 in 1982, it had reached issue 159 of Amazing Spider-Man. It was uh, five and a half years behind what was currently being published. And uh, with issue 137, the next one, it went back to Amazing Fantasy 15 and started all over again. Yep. Did this for about 50 issues or so. And then the editors decided that they would repent whatever the hell they pleased. And the book started bouncing around. Uh, they do a Claremont Burn Marvel team-up run. They do the early Punisher stories or what Which was actually kind of cool. I liked that. Did and, you like that? They, well, basically, they were capitalizing on what was popular at the time. Punisher was huge at the time, so let's reprint the early appearances of it. And it's it's like basically reading color versions of the Essential Punisher Volume 1. And... You know, when they had, when they were reprinting the X-Men stuff, that was when X-Men was really popular. And, you know, you would just throw Todd McFarlane covers on there and everyone would get excited. Cool. I mean, it always kept a Spider-Man focus once it, fa- once it found the Spider-Man focus early on. It pretty much kept that throughout. Um, I guess there might have been a few exceptions to that. But the book finally ended in 1994, which I guess is before Josh started collecting regularly with issue number 291. It reprinted Amazing Spider-Man number 283 with Absorbing Man and Titania, which seems to me to be a really not-so-awesome note to go out on, but I haven't actually read that issue. Has anyone read Absorbing Man and Titania number 283? I think that was uh, one of uh, George Berryman's Friday Night Fights a few weeks ago. Okay. Is he in the black costume? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. 
they I'm hooked not, up not, during. I'm not, I'm not read the issue though. The two of them hooked up during Secret War. Zori Man and Titania. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. So for those who are reading the comic in 1964 and had missed Spider-Man's origin back in Amazing Fantasy 15, which I wouldn't be surprised if by this time it was going for a huge whopping ten dollars, you could check mm-hmm. out that annual for a reprint at the same time as the Amazing Spider-Man annual. Yeah, and, and Marvel was great about that, and, and they, they sort of, I guess, with the trades continue to be great about that, but recognizing the popularity of their line and the, at that point, lack of back issues that people could have access to, you know, they were good about cranking out reprints just to allow people to read the stories. There were large numbers of them, too. You had uh, Marvel, what was it, Triple Action? doing Avengers, and you had X-Men. There was some uh, fantasy masterpieces, maybe, doing an X-Men reprint. I forget what it was. Something like that. Lots and lots of reprints. Yeah, in the 70s, they just started cranking them out like crazy. It's it's cheap, and you can charge the same amount as you do for a regular comic. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, yeah, that's a money-making scheme right there. And it makes the fans happy. So just a little bit of background on Marvel Tales, but our main focus this episode is the Amazing Spider-Man Annual number one. So let's dive into that. It was released June 11th, 1964, with a no-month 1964 cover date. The cover has Spider-Man hanging in the foreground, somewhat awkwardly, from some webs, while six villains charge toward him and toward the camera. We have, in alphabetical order, because the alphabet is cool, Dr. Octopus, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, and the Vulture. The slogans scream, 72 big pages, annual, and jam-packed with special surprise features. <laughs> the main caption reads, featuring Spidey's biggest, longest, oh lord, greatest battle <laughs> <laughs> as he attacks the Sinister Six. With a galaxy of the most gall-darn guest stars that you can shake a web at. And they're not kidding. Mixed into the story is basically a commercial for every single other superhero strip being published. Yes. Time. <laughs> Literally with, like, no reason sometimes. Like, Thor will just, like, you know, not look where he's going and bump into someone. I know, hey, that guy's a talk. jerk. And you could read about him being a jerk into Journey in the Mystery. <laughs> Jerky in the Mystery, yeah. Um... <laughs> Splash page is uh, slashed diagonally into three panels. We have the top left are Betty and Aunt May cowering in fear. Below them are the six villains in various Ditko poses ready to take out Spider-Man. And the main panel is a half-naked Peter Parker. Is Stella listening? Because she always likes to comment on half-naked Peter Parker. And uh, he looks to be shaking in fear. The title is The Sinister Six. Yeah, I gotta say, I know, you know, it's kind of like, you know, old news by this point, but how, oh, Spider-Man's not your average superhero, but this is very illustrative and showing, you know, you know, the hero of the book, the superhero, the one guy that, you know, is supposed to save the day. On the first page, you see him against the wall with half of his costume on the ground, like, you know, not armor, not a giant uh, iconic cape or anything, just, you know, a mask and gloves as his shadow is reflected against the wall. And it really just brings back to you that this is a, basically a kid, you know, against all these guys and it shows like the difference between spider-man and every other hero like you know as is shown again and again it's nothing new but it's one of those things like you know i I bet you this was probably like if you've shown somebody who not read superhero comics even in 1964 this they're probably like whoa what is this 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 guy looks afraid this guy looks like you know he's just a normal guy with you know some crazy clothes on and i thought that this was a really good steve dicko drawing of just the normality behind 
what Spider-Man is about. And I don't know how many new readers this book brought in, but when they were making it, they were definitely steering it towards the new readers. This is yeah. new well, reader Spider-Man Central. Well, I, I, I would say that just about every early issue of Spider-Man is new reader friendly. Uh, considering how many times they repeat the origin over and over and over again <laughs> and explain his, explain who everyone is. I'm just kind of, I'm a little upset that they show Aunt May cowering in fear at the top because she really doesn't do that at all throughout the issue. <laughs> it's a big lie. <laughs> so no, everyone use your lie. imagination. Why is Betty, what, what is Betty seeing that's making her <laughs> cower in fear? Go nuts. Yeah, this- in that Dr. Octopus picture, you don't see it. Betty's actually off camera in the corner as Dr. Octopus has his tentacles coming out. So the caption reads, Can Spider-Man save the two people he loves most in the whole world from the deadly Sinister Six? No, 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 no. Not the Sinister Six. The Insidious Six. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, from the, that's from the 90s show. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it. In order to rescue Betty Brant and Aunt May, Spidey must find a way to defeat the undefeatable... Again, Sinister Six! Exclamation point, exclamation point. What happens now? Just when he needs them most, Peter Parker seems to have mysteriously lost his amazing spider powers. And evidently his nipples. (laughs) As if he ever had them. But both of those would explain why he's shaking like that. Um, Are the two disappearances connected? Fine. (laughs) (laughs) 41 pages of indescribable excitement written by Stan Lee, drawn by Steve Ditko, possibly the most talked about team in comics today. Better by S. Rosen. (laughs) Generally speaking, um, do you guys have, I mean, Lee Ditko and Lee Kirby were the two big teams, and we're basically talking about Lee Ditko. But is he your preference? Do you like the, the Lee Kirby stuff? See, see, Spider-Man is really like the only is the only thing I kind of gravitate towards Marvel, even though I have a good feelings towards Marvel in general. But yeah, I mean, I think Jack Kirby's a great artist, but he he did you know Jack all to do with Spider-Man, so I would have to go with just Lee Dicko just in preference of the character. Yeah, I'm I'm with Don. Uh, when I went back and read a lot of that Lee Kirby stuff, it was really good. But ultimately, I'm a Spider-Man guy, so I gotta go Lee Dicko. I'm a I'm a Lee Kirby guy. I like Ditko on Spider-Man, and I like Ditko on Doctor Strange. Really don't like Ditko on anything else, whereas Kirby, you know, it might be rushed in places, had such a a grasp on everybody else in the Marvel Universe, Uh, the Fantastic Four, the Incredible Hulk. It's it's like I, I don't like seeing Ditko draw Kirby characters, if that makes any sense. It's ironic because I actually, and I, I, I do like Kirby, but I really don't like when Kirby draws Spider-Man because it looks so wrong, if that makes any sense. Bless you. It was like that song, I don't want to read those Kirby X-Men. Yes, yeah, uh, I've, I've always preferred the stuff he did for DC. I like, I like Kirby in general. I think he, he knows no company preference. That was the next line in the song. Your show is the one that showed me that song. Okay, I remember now. I, I, I gotta get off the. Sh- I'm way too young to be on the show. I I, I don't mind. I I don't mind the Kirby X Men. I find it easier to get into than like the continuity heavy later on X Men. Yeah. So getting into the meat of the story because it's a big one. Guess who's back? Doctor Octopus in a state prison. A team of specialists has figured out how to remove the metal arms from Doctor Octopus' body, with very little scarring from the looks of things. The uh, half-naked Octavius here, and but it took his nipples off. In yeah, story. I was gonna say, would I be killing the joke <laughs> to death if I mentioned they must have removed his nipples too? That was my line. <laughs> but before they can remove the arms to another location, he sends them mental commands and uses them to break out. Da, da, da. 
There's no explanation for that. (laughs) They they, they don't even try and explain it. They're like, I have mental control over my R. Like, really? Since when? Since when? How did this come about? Like, yeah. (laughs) They don't even try. I love how there's, like, not even, like, a Stan Lee-esque explanation. He's just like... (laughs) Did did they put the arms in, like, actual jail cell? They're in some sort of cabinet, aren't they? I I have the essentials as black and white, so I can't tell. But it looks like they just put it, like, like in, in the bar cage, like, like the arms, like you know, sit in here for a while. Octavius' arm or something like Yeah, it looks like it's in a stuff vault. So the next day, Spider-Man taunts Jonah and steals his newspaper, where he reads of Doc Ock's escape. Dun-dun-dun. While reading, Thor flies by. No reason. No, 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 not flies by. Flies into him. Knocks him out in the air. And I'm sorry, you know what, Thor? I mean, if Thor's knocking in the Spider-Man, you know, who's just sitting there on the lamppost, there's no telling what else he's been crashing into. Well, he just throws that hammer and has to follow the parabola that it follows. I mean, he can't change direction once. He's in the air, right? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to look where the where the heck he's going. <laughs> the hammer was covered a with blood. <laughs> the dead pigeons. <laughs> so he flies through Spider-Man, and we are told that Mighty Thor appears each month in his own magazine, as well as in the Avengers. Actually, wait, 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 wait. Uh, yeah, wasn't it Tales to Astonish? It was it, t- his own magazine was still Journey called into Journey Mystery, into Mystery, wasn't it? That's yeah. right, that's right. But that was but written it, in little letters. It was letters. renamed Thor. It was written in little letters right above Thor in Jesus Returns size headline font. <laughs> I'm sure it was called that. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, in another part of the city, we have Electro Craven hanging out, waiting for everyone to get there so they can finally watch the Lost finale. When Mysterio arrives. Spoiler alert, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, wait, 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 I, lo- I love this, because Mysterio like, just goes to the door in his costume. I know, right? Not, 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 hello, I'm here. <laughs> but they're still waiting for two more. Change scene again, because this is fast-paced storytelling. Peter Parker is walking down the street uh, to a fancy beat uh, when he passes a mysterious man in a trench coat, to whom I will refer as Mysterious Trenchcoat Man, or MTCM for short. Seen later in the clone saga. MTCM sets off his spider sense, but before Peter can pursue him, Flash Thompson and some of his cronies decide he needs a beatdown for walking home from school with Liz yesterday. Flash lunges for Peter, who judo dodges, and Flash then tumbles into Doctor Strange's astral form, which seems to me to be kind of awkward. He just happens to be passing by uh, to give lectures on violence to street kids. Yeah, but that's not how... I mean, someone who knows more about Doctor Strange can correct me, but from what I understand, this is a really inconsistent portrayal of the astral form. This is the only portrayal of the astral form from which I'm familiar, because the only Doctor Strange I know is... 60s Doctor Strange. But like, but he's interacting with them while he's in the astral yeah. form and Flash can, I'm thinking can back see to the, the Spider-Man issues where Spider-Man did the same thing, but people couldn't see him. No, he can do that. He does that with the Fantastic Four um, in another issue from this, a couple years from this. Okay, I'm, I, 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 I remember hearing somewhere, so... There's, a, there's, a, there's an episode where I think Reed and Sue have gone down into the ocean so they can help Dorma trick namor into helping him fight atuma and johnny and ben get left behind and doctor strange shows up for no reason whatsoever to help them get down to the ocean too and yeah he can totally interact with them while he can't fight physically a- touch anything but he can talk to you fight atuma wait what? atuma 
Atuma Matata. He's the um, what a wonderful phrase. He's a big blue mean guy who fights Namor in. Oh, oh I, did, I did not know that. I thought you said fight. Never mind. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, random Fantastic Four tangent. Doctor Strange appears monthly in Strange Tales, we find out, and while Flash and his friends are freaking out about that, Peter has taken his clothes off so he can be Spider-Man and chase after the MTCM. <laughs> Except I now see that the mysterious trench coat man isn't wearing a trench coat at all. It's a hat, a jacket, and some pants. All Earth toe, of course. Is that Boo? No, we're it's boring my- him. <laughs> Someone was snoring. I'm sorry, guys. It's like 1.30 in the morning. I apologize. <laughs> did you fall asleep? <laughs> I pulled a Will Sanchez, yes. I did not mean to do that. I I was just sitting here kind of staring at the comic, and all of a sudden... Boom. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it did. You know, people joke that Michael Bailey podcasts in his sleep, and it's true. <laughs> Okay, no, it's cool. Let's, uh, um, uh, no, I really apologize. I, I was kind of worried that something like that might happen, and I was trying to fight against it. But uh, this, is, this is the latest I think we've recorded. So Spider-Man stalks the guy formerly known as the Mysterious Trenchcoat Man, who evidently really stinks because Spidey talks about the villainy aura being almost too strong to bear. It sounds like he's farting a lot to me. But Spider-Man decides to brave the stench. He jumps down to talk to the guy. But the guy suddenly vanishes, leaving just his clothes behind. Like it's one of those Christian rapture movies from the 90s. <laughs> Which is not to belittle Christian rapture movies. It's just it's what it made me think of. Actually, there was one they did where the clothes were like left behind in neatly folded little stacks with the shoes placed on top. And that was retarded. Well, that way, you know, people can, you know, use them. The people that got left behind for the second coming. <laughs> I guess that's exactly right. I did teach regular classes on Bible prophecies around that time for like 10 years, so I'm fully capable of judging what's retarded in them and what's not. So anyways... We're going to make Mike fall asleep again. <laughs> um, the clothes no longer have anyone in what? them. What? What? Uh, uh, I else? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> the clothes no longer have anyone in them because the mysterious trench coat man has all this time been... Dun, 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 dun! The Sandman! He's sifted through the clothes into a drain down into the sewers. He continues legging it, talking about the salmon here, or maybe sludging it, I guess, to the meeting with Dr. Octopus. And by the time Spider-Man gets down there to check it out, Sandman is long gone. So Spider-Man swings on home, and as he approaches the house, he sees a light on in the attic. So instead of, you know, getting dressed and going inside to say hi, he spies on his own house from outside through the attic window, because that's not creepy at all. So he sees Aunt May looking at pictures of Uncle Ben and having a good little cry. And this ignites a flashback sequence to recap Spidey's origin. If it wasn't for that transition caption, you would have thought that Steve Dicko forgot that he was at his house because he's looking <laughs> yeah. in on his roof and then all of a sudden he's on this high rise in the city. I know, right? I, it says that he like wanders aimlessly along the rooftops, but he does make it back to Manhattan somehow from Queens. Just I had I had to check that though because I was like, they did not just make that mistake. Cool <laughs> in the captions that we can read the origin in the Marvel Tales annual, but just in case you don't have the quarter to buy that book, you get the Cliff's Notes version here, as well as a hefty dose of spider guilt. And just when that guilt hits, Spider-Man stumbles off the roof ledge along which he is walking. He manages to grab a flagpole, but his sense of agility is gone. And he clings to the flagpole for dear life. I love and how the panel goes. Like, it's like close up to him, then it's like farther and farther away. He's like, well, maybe this is good. I don't want my powers anymore. How am I going to get up this flagpole? <laughs> and if you think about it, being on that flagpole, no, that's really freaking scary. I, I can never relate. Not relate like I've done it before, just, you know. 
I get it. But even better is the fact that the Fantastic Four fly by, and they see that he's on the flagpole, but they think that whatever Spider-Man's doing, he probably wouldn't appreciate the interference because he's a loner. Of course they wouldn't, because the Fantastic Four are jerks. And because they appear each month in their own feature-length magazine, in case you didn't know. And it's feature-length, too. All the other solo titles are still only partial-length lead strips, not taking up the whole book. So, yay, Fantastic Four. Spider-Man inches his way along the flagpole back to the building, manages to find an open window, which is extremely lucky, I would think, and skulks back home, keeping hidden so that no one tries to beat up Spider-Man while he's powerless. That's actually, dog. Um, that's actually a line straight from, uh, that they use in the Manny Show. When, he loses, when, they, when they pull the same gag, Like he runs and says, I can't be seen. If, it'd be too easy for some thug to beat me up and unmask me without my powers. Like, that was actually verbatim. Well, that was – it was actually almost like a kind of a semi-close lift from this story because he was fighting the Sinister Six or the Insidious Six. They had kidnapped Aunt May, you know, and Aunt, without mm-hmm. Aunt May knowing she was being kidnapped – Pizza oh, yeah, yeah. collapsed on the streets. Take me. <laughs> and he and he was and, and and he had lost his powers. Although spoiler for here, it was because he didn't believe in himself, and there it was because he was turned into a giant spider. He's totally shushing that little <laughs> dog too. That's pretty funny. It's like Shh, don't tell your owners. <laughs> I know this is talking. just between this is just between you and me. What happens in this alley stays in this alley. <laughs> 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 So Aunt May thinks that Peter looks a little pale, so she tells him to lie down. Peter goes upstairs and worries about what happens to his powers. And meanwhile, at the hideout of Dr. Octopus, the guest list is completed with the arrival of the Vulture. So all six villains gather around the table so they can finally watch the lost finale. But first they have to decide who's going to cosplay as which character. And this starts an argument, so they draw cards out of a hat. Dr. Octopus (laughs) is upset because he has to be Claire. Again. <laughs> What's happening with my baby? <laughs> oh, my baby. Okay. <laughs> wow. No, my hat's off to you, John. That was uh, that was great. Um, I, I, I never watched Lost. I didn't get any of the references. But Neither I appreciate I. the comedic uh, value of it. So very good. Thank you. Because this is basically just a revenge session. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but the vulture, he was the one that they were waiting for? Like, really? I know, screw the vulture. Right? <laughs> well, he's the only one with the head on his shoulders in this scene. Okay, because this is what happened. Let me just read the thing I have here. <laughs> Dr. Do Octopus has called the other five villains together to discuss how to get back at Spider-Man. Vulture suggests they all gang up on him at once and take him out. This is an awesome idea. They should definitely yeah, it, listen to the vulture. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking the same thing when I was reading this. Like, okay, so your big plan is is that you're all okay by ourselves. We we could never defeat Spider Man. So here's the plan: we're gonna take him on one at a time. And, and there should have been smell. like crickets in the background as all <laughs> the villains are just staring at him because they're idiots. And, 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 and the vulture goes, okay, he's an idiot <laughs> with mechanical arms. Let's do this. How about we lure him someplace and all pig pile on him and beat the crap out of him, take his mask off and kill everybody that he loves <laughs> in front of him, which at this point is only and, two and, people. And Otto, you can have Betty again one more time in front of Peter before we kill her. so they follow dr octopus's elaborate plan to draw numbered cards that will say where and in what order they're each going to attack spider-man one by one but get this 
they draw the cards randomly out of a hat. Yeah, that, I was thinking about that. Like, did this guy actually like do like the um, proportionate system that you learned? That I'm learning statistics right now and like figure out every single plan for no matter which random assignment this will be. Like, is he that? Is he that smart? No, well, he's not. Then Doctor Octopus says that each card states a location that is best suited to each villain's particular talents. I have left nothing to chance, as you shall see. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't drawing out of a hat like the, the definition of chance? This guy. <laughs> yes. Well, that, that, that's like that Lois Lane story where uh, she had to pretend to be a psychic or the mob was going to whack her. This was from the 60s. But she got, like, every single answer, right, like, from I, – I, I don't remember, like, what it was. But they asked her these different things that were, like, one in a million chances, and she got them all right. So she's like, I must really be psychic. And then at the end, like, Superman had to find out how it happened, and he thought it was, like, Lori Lamar using her psychic mermaid powers to help her. And then the explanation they came up with was, wow, Lois, you know what? Everyone has that one in a million chance, and you just got lucky each and every time. God, God almighty. There was a one in a million chance that you would pick the right thing, and you got that one chance. One in a million chance again is now a one in, what is it, trillion chance to get to one in a million chances? Anyway, so Ock's idea is that each fight will tire Spider-Man out a little more, so that each succeeding opponent will have a better chance of victory. (laughs) Vulture still thinks his idea would have been better, and he's right. Yes. (laughs) To be fair to the Vulture, when they do do his plan, like in later Sinister Six stories, it's not like it went any better. Oh, no, because the hero always has to win. But, you know, thinking in the box for a second, they should go with the story. Oh, well. So the next day, Peter is listless, and this worries his Aunt May. Peter skips school, which Aunt May discovers when she calls the school to worry about him. And Peter's walking around moping, and he's out of the docks because... That's a safe place for kids to hang out. When he sees Giant Man and the Wasp taking out a gang of thugs and being advertised as the lead strip and tales to astonish. <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I, love the- I love the panel about May, like, oh no, he's never played hooky before. It looks- she looks like, like she heard that he had shot or something. <laughs> and she blames Betty Brandt, like right away. <laughs> Peter More went, ancient uh, Aunt May, though. Good lord. The mummy returns! She-, she looks like that preacher character from Poltergeist 2. You know what she looks like? She looks like in Beetlejuice whenever... Oh, man. Oh, what's the wife's actress's name in Beetlejuice? Gina Davis, right before her jaw falls off. Okay. Uh, in, in Beetlejuice, whenever the end, whenever the, the corpses are aging. Anyways, that's what she looks like there to me. Her jaw's about to fall off. And May Parker meets Betty at the front of the Daily Bugle building, and she's going out for coffee, presumably to tell her to be good to Peter. She doesn't want to be replaced by a rollicking redhead. When Sandman and Electro capture them, an act which is witnessed by Jameson from his upstairs window... And he's apparently so upset he's taken off his tie. He can't, he can't handle Why is he like undressing in his <laughs> office? I'm really confused. I'm it really... happens. It happens semi often, you know, as we saw in issue four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring me my pants. <laughs> you know, because he happens to have an extra set of pants lying around. Well, there you go. I love how the kidnapping basically happens off panel. You just see George. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's like that Family Guy bit where he's yelling at Meg not to get into the taxi and not to get on the plane and not to pay the five extra dollars for the headset. I do like Sandman, like, you know, incognito, a.k.a. Let me put on a fedora, you know, just like every bad guy in every stereotypical (laughs) business. Electro isn't even trying, though. If, if those I, were I, gathered, I thought you were going over that thing, that cowl. I love Jameson, though. He's like, wait, come back, stop. Like, you know, Electro's going to jam on the brakes. Didn't you hear? Jameson said stop. we got to come back. <laughs> Later they arrive at Doc Ock's plush little hideout. Okay, the, uh, and, he, 
And here's example one of why Aunt May has Alzheimer's. Doctor, how nice. Such a charming, soft-spoken gentleman. Who is that charming lady with you? <laughs> Dr. Octopus is like, at last, Betty Brand is returned. And then, like, he sees Aunt May, and it's like, you know, in the movies, like, it just gets all of a sudden slower, Dream. and you hear, I was just thinking of that, yeah. Because <laughs> of all those Toy Story 3 trailers. Oh, dream! <laughs> so the vulture heads out the window. woman. <laughs> oh, I don't, I have no idea what's going on. She's my intellectual equal on every level. <laughs> she doesn't, she's, it's like Bernie Brant's like, don't you know who this master supervillain is? Oh, we should pick on him because he has a problem with his arms. Are you oh, yeah. freaking crazy you stupid old bitch <laughs> look could you keep her and let me go because obviously she's enjoying herself <laughs> and that's why and that's why aunt may doesn't want betty and peter the day because she's like you know peter mary jane you know would have like not been so racist against dr octopus <laughs> betty, <you know, laughs> betty was down on the little feet. down please make yourselves comfortable i'll have my associates bring you some refreshments oh god oh. You mean you haven't heard of him? Don't let his looks deceive you, Mrs. Parker. Now, now, dear, we mustn't be prejudiced against the poor man just because he seems to have some trouble with his arm. What, is she stupid? Yes, mm. she is. She is, yeah, the he window. He sexually assaulted me! You had you it mean... coming. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're a working oh. girl and you wear skirts that go below above the knee. So obviously you were asking for And that's why, oh, and that's why Mary Jane Mary Jane's a virgin, so Amaze, you know, like, you know, doesn't want the uncure Betty for her neck. That we know of. The vulture heads out the window for reasons we'll see in a minute. And Dr. Octopus sees both the woman he's had and the woman he hasn't. So he's immediately <laughs> smitten with lustful desires for this lie, the 80-year-old woman. Threesome. That's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> I can't do it no Later, Peter Parker's at the Daily Bugle. Jameson had actually called him about his aunt being kidnapped. And Peter has, which is kind of out of character for Jameson, if you think about his past behavior when it comes to kidnappings. Peter has yeah. come to tell him it's impossible when the vulture appears outside the window to announce that these sinister six have captured Betty Brandt. And they want Spider-Man to come rescue her. Peter's, of course, worried about how to rescue Betty and Aunt May because his powers seem to have stopped working. Jameson tells his employees he doesn't want to be disturbed, and he calls the Fantastic Four but no dice there. Reed calls the Avengers and Captain America answers only to tell us that he appears each month in the Avengers but has never met Spider-Man. Why doesn't Jameson send these people to save Betty? (laughs) I mean, didn't like the Vulture like say, like, you know, meet me at Stark Electric Plant Building 4? You know, the Vulture's gonna be waiting there for Spider-Man and all of a sudden the Human Torch, the Thing, Invisible Girl, Mr. Fantastic and Captain America all show up. And if you worry that the Vulture's gonna react badly when they see him, just send Sue you know, whatever. The torch forms she'd a flaming mess. She'd probably faint or something. She probably know? would, because, you know, Lee's hmm. uh, um, advanced feminism in the Fantastic Four books at the time. The torch forms a flaming message in the air for Spider-Man, which the X-Men can see from their bi-monthly feature-length magazine. And this is obviously a very high message, because the X-Men are in their danger room all the way to frack up in Westchester County. Ignore but- it. It does not concern us. Continue the training program now. <laughs> Jeez, Xavier. You know, they're, they're all training, but, you know, Jean Grey's just standing there. 
Well, they got well, take... you know why, don't you? Come, come yeah. here, my dear. I, I have something to show you. He's he's secretly in love with her. Yeah, they yeah. mentioned that in, like, issue three, and then nobody brought it up again for, like, 400 issues, I know. Did they actually bring it up in regular continuity? Because I thought they only... Yeah, yes, they one. did, during yeah. Onslaught. Oh, wow. Because Ultimate Prof is also in love with Gene, and they mentioned that just in time to kill the man in Ultimatum. I really don't want Ultimatum. Let's not do that. He's in love with his teenage... Like, cause she's in high school at this point, so he's, like, he's basically her high school teacher, because he gives them, like, diplomas. It's like, like I got it, bad, got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. I'm a <laughs> student. Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can't, because he's in the movie. This is like an opera with their two characters going. <laughs> Your friends are so jealous. I'm done. <laughs> and now, we return to Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Already in progress. Anyways... <laughs> Peter, meanwhile, makes a decision, which is actually very cool of him. Knowing that he doesn't have powers, realizing that he may get killed in the process, he decides to suit up and go where the vulture said to go. Stark Electric Plant Building 4 to rescue them. But instead, waiting for him is Electro. Electro Whoa. tells Spider-Man that this is basically a game of Capture the Flag, that he has a card with the next stop of his trail to rescue Betty Brandt. He then hurls an electric bolt, and Spider-Man is able to dodge it. And he realizes a normal human being couldn't have done that. And just like that, his powers are back. Well, that that, that didn't take long. I, know, I, know, I read that the other night, and I was like, that lasted all of like a fourth of the Come issue. On, like today, it would last like six months. And We're not even on page ten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With renewed confidence, he and Electro dash it out across the power plant until Spider-Man clocks him a good one in a full-page, oh, horrific splash page. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. that, that's like one of my big notes. Is I love the fact that in each and every one of these fights, there is a full page splash because you didn't get that a lot in this era of comics you really didn't you didn't get the full page splash and ditko uses it to good effect during the entire rest of this issue every one of the sinister six gets a splash page it's really kind of mm-hmm. awesome yeah and now you high voltage heal i'll give you something to talk about when you wake back up yourself you can tell all the other cons how it feels to be the one on the receiving end of a knockout punch by your friendly neighborhood spider-man as as cool as that dialogue is, I kind of wish that you could just like remove that balloon and just have the art. Because yeah. uh, these are some real. I mean, I might oh, actually post awesome. these images in case yeah. listeners don't have access to the books. I mean, just because the images are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so he takes the card from Electro and heads out, but runs into Iron Man before he leaves Plant Grounds. Spider-Man takes no time to explain, but leaves Iron Man to deal with it in the monthly Iron Man comic, which is actually still tales of suspense at this point, but that's okay. Jonah calls the FF again to see if they got Spider-Man, because he's scared the Sinister Six will come get him in his office if Spider-Man doesn't show. Poor little Jonah. Spider-Man goes to a park just across the bay from the World's Fair and is confronted... Okay, you missed the part where the Fantastic Four wash their hands of the whole thing, which is like... I I, I can't stand the Fantastic Four Well, and, and, and the thing proves that he's like the Dr. McCoy of the uh, <laughs> of the Marvel Universe instead of saying, you know, I'm a doctor, not you know, a bricklayer or whatever. It's just like, tell that nut to hang up. This ain't the missing persons bureau. This ain't General Motors. Okay, no, this, no, ain't, no, no, this, no, this ain't the Fantastic guy. Four. Oh, wait. Uh. <laughs> what does this guy have to do better than this? Like, what is the, why is he, I can't stand a team of six, a, a team of six supervillains are threatening me and they've kidnapped my secretary. Oh, sorry, Mr. Jameson. That's not really <laughs> something for the fantastic four to handle. 
He goes to a park uh, just across the bay from the World Fair. He's confronted by a leopard, as well as the maybe African, maybe South American, but not yet Russian, Craven the Hunter. <laughs> we get another big splash page of Spider-Man tangling with Craven and the now two leopards. He does some acrobatics, snags Craven's card from his tusk belt, and bounds away, leaving behind a rather frustrated Craven. And, Craven, like, sh- and Craven commits suicide out of shame. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was an honorable way to go out because, you know, he's all about the honor. Yeah, I love how he doesn't even, like, web him up or capture him. He's on his way. Go, gotta go. Spider-Man decides that his power loss was psychosomatic, brought on by his spider guilt over Ben's death. So remember, Spidey, guilt is your kryptonite. Never feel guilty again. On the subject of guilt and kryptonite and the psychosomatic powers, when they reused that for Spider-Man 2, I got so mad at all the people saying, oh, they were just reusing the plot from Superman 2. I'm like, no, it's from Spider-Man Annual 1, a story yeah. older than Superman 2. Yeah, Stop. but th- there are so many parallels between those two movies, it's not even funny. There really are, yeah. Yeah, but a lot of the stuff in the movie that, you know, was coincidence with Superman was pulled from older stories. I, I, I understand that from the opening credits to certain plot points, it's not like a shot-for-shot remake, but it does have a lot in common. The two films have a lot in common, except that the ending of Superman 2 isn't boring and prolonged. So well, there is the part where Spider-Man goes back into that country, country western bar and punches a guy out. What are you talking about? It was a diner! <laughs> okay. Uh, it's been a while. Sorry. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> the Torch finally catches up to Spidey. He tells him that he appears monthly in Strange Tales, which leads Spidey to start tussling with him. Torch finally manages to get a word in through the fight and offers his help going after the Sinister Six. Spidey apologizes for attacking, but says, This fight of mine is personal, so I'll handle it alone. See? So the Torch wishes him... Lots of rock! Exactly! The hell was that? Dr. Octopus... Astro speak. It is Astro speak. From the Jetsons. From the Jetsons, right? But, like, I came out of nowhere. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, I guess Lee was watching cartoons earlier that day. Dr. Octopus serves to t- serves tea to Betty and May while Monica... Date rape! <laughs> oh, let me slip you something. This is I love how... Look at, Brand that, tea. look at Betty Brand's face. She is so <laughs> incest because she realized that, like, Doc Ock has moved on and it's all about Aunt May now. Look at her. She She's, like, so angry. She's like, And May hell? is all impressed. Her feminine sensibilities and propriety, they, she's just like, wow, this man... Actually, May looks like she's, like, been taken over some kind of mind control if you look at her face. <laughs> such she's a like, charming gentleman. It's a pleasure to meet someone with such good manners nowadays. Go on, go on. At that very moment, in another part of town, Spider-Man receives a rude shock. He gets to the third location and is attacked by Cyclops, the Angel, and the Beast of the X-Men. <gasps> when he slugs the Beast, he gets broken metal instead of blood. So these are just robots. And they're being <laughs> controlled by Mysterio! Least another f- favorite Spider-Man villain ever. I don't like Mysterio. Oh, I don't? really don't. <laughs> I like the Vulture more than I like Mysterio. Oh dang man! Why? Why um? Is it like why do you want to talk Mysterio out of here? I just you ever just see a character and just there's nothing there that you like about him, and it's just and that that impression stays with you throughout your entire comic book reading existence. Like you just never like him, and and every story you read just there's nothing there to really make you like him at all. Yeah, I, mean, I call him the vulture. Touche, sir. It's the fishbowl head. It's the eyes. 
as the like clasp on the cape. I just don't like him. I really don't. I just realized Mysterio also committed suicide. What is it with these Spider-Man villains being all suicidal? <laughs> what did, did you, you want to kill kill yourself after somebody saying Spider-Man beat your ass? And he and with his wrist. And, and, and yeah, and Chameleon jumped off a bridge. <laughs> I'm sensing like such a pattern here. You're gonna have a freaking uh, Doctor Octopus like you know overdose on pills and shit. <laughs> like J. Jonah Jameson's gonna like you know latch on to this and like realize it and like Spider-Man you know any villain that comes in contact with Spider-Man com- winds up committing suicide. That's actually a really good st- idea for a story. <laughs> the many suicides of Spider-Man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And there'll be, like, a crossover between the mini-loves and the mini-suicides at some point, I'm sure. Oh, man. Another oh. full-page splash. Full-page splash. Full-page splash, I can speak yeah. English, of Spidey leaping to the attack with Mysterio. He snags the card, but drops it, ah, uh, onto a oh, section cool. of floor that is smoldering from one of Robot Cyclops' eye beams. Mysterio disappears into a puff of smoke, which I actually don't really like, because it's not in keeping with his past power set. But, um... Spidey has the chance to do some wacky science. He splooges his liquid webbing <clears throat> over the card remnants. You gotta phrase that better. But go ahead. Picks up the dried splooge and peels the card away from the bottom. Reading the imprints left on the webbing by the ink, he is able to decipher his next destination. And I just really don't think that that would work at all. But, you know. Maybe. I love how he says, my spider sense will help me read. And it's like, okay, this spider sense. And it's like this all-inclusive thing now. The thing is, they explain it later in the issue, and it has absolutely nothing to do with anything he's used it for in the last couple of months. And now comes my favorite scene of the entire book. Uh, the office of J. Jonah Jameson? Yes. JJJ is still freaking out because he doesn't know what happened to his message to Spider-Man. He sees a spider outside his window and decides that if Ant-Man <laughs> can talk to ants, <laughs> it's pretty funny. What an idiot. Who are you? Did, you, did Spider-Man send you? Don't just hang in there. Give me the message now! Okay, well, while you're saying what an idiot, a very forgotten part of Spider-Man history, Uh in Avengers Disassembled, that Queen storyline, Spider-Man temporarily, um, and he lost the power, like, he had this power up until one more day, people just never referenced it or used it, but he was given the ability to talk to spiders. Because that's from all the other and everything else, right? That he got all those weird powers? It was before the other in Avengers Disassembled when, like, he turned into, like, a giant spider and then gave birth to himself. And there was this villain called the Queen, and it was really horrible. Thank you. I had just about expunged all of that from my mind. I, uh, I yeah. appreciate, appreciate hey. you throwing I that mean, in there, Josh. Uh, the, the, this funny scene of Jonah talking to a spider, you know, it just... It's really depressing when you realize that they went ahead and did this. And it's funny because someone wrote Stanley a letter at one point in one issue saying, well, if Ant-Man can talk to ants, can, how, why can't Spider-Man talk to spiders? And Stan's smart alecky response was what? You want Iron Man to start talking to Iron now? I think we've actually passed that letter. Uh, I think oh. we're reading it, but I didn't pull it out because I thought it was retarded. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, somebody at Marvel Editorial didn't think it was. <laughs> Maybe they're pulling it out and putting it because it was retarded and they wanted to reply to it. I don't know. So next up is the Sandman. After another Ditko splash, their fight ends up inside a confined metal cell. Spider-Man has very little room to maneuver, and Sandman is doing his now classic mallet-style attack. But, and this is weird since it's the Sandman, Spider-Man gets the victory by merely outlasting Sandman in the enclosed environment. And as they run out of oxygen, Sandman is the first to collapse. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back the truck up. (laughs) I mean, this is the man who falls into the water and merges with Hydro-Man and becomes King Kong. 
I mean, the man doesn't need to breathe. It just doesn't happen. Science, you know. Science! So Jonah sees a lot of competing newspapers all around the bullpen as he finally emerges from his office. And he realizes that every other paper but his has a Spider-Man story. And no one had told him because he had given orders not to be disturbed. So he Nobody goes wanted to it. talk to him because he was talking <laughs> to spiders. <laughs> Mommy, why and by is, the da- way- is Daddy angry again? Can we not talk to him tonight? And, and, and to this panels i have to say other people work at the daily bugle in 1964 yeah these are like non non betty brant and peter parker people this is the first time we see these people this is the first time we actually get the hatred that other people have for J. Jonah jameson apparently also uh if you work at the daily bugle you have to wear a bow tie yeah oh <laughs> yeah everybody's just like barry allen in every panel so. at ox headquarters the good doctor is beginning to worry because of the success Spider-Man has had. And Betty is kind of freaked out, and May is enjoying her tea. Look at sure Betty, she, she knows that the rape because is coming Aunt again. May is crazy! I mean, she has either had a complete psychological break at this point, <laughs> or she just really, she's like one of those people that has been out of the loop so long they have no idea how the real world works, and they just take all of their information from what they see on the news and Dr. Oz and Oprah. Betty's That's about Aunt. to have a nervous breakdown, and Aunt May's just looking all smug. <laughs> she has like, don't come closer. That, that would be great when Betty does finally crack and like passes out. Aunt May could go, good, finally outlasted her. <laughs> Either that or she's just playing crazy to drive Betty away from Peter. <laughs> oh, yes. That's the real secret. Because this is why it. I love this podcast. There's like, I, I you Damn, know, <laughs> you find all these new ways to read the story. New ways she's to a, die, she, right? She's a Mary Jane shipper. You know how, like, you know, with Twilight now, they got, like, <laughs> team, team Jacob and, like, Team uh, Edward, whatever the other guy. It's like, Aunt May's on Team Mary Jane, and that's a team that plays to win. Well, she is so laid back, <laughs> She is so laid back, I'm pretty sure she's on Team Mary Jane's. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, she's going to play dirty. She's impressing the dude on the left side. Can you just see Aunt May say, pass that over? Come here, Otto. Woo! Oh, man. You got to try some of this. Hit it up. Otto, I'm on something really big. It looks like you got med alarms coming out of you. <laughs> I have no clue what's going on right now. <laughs> hey, I, just, I have no idea what's going on. Wait, that's it. Aunt May went. Aunt May was visiting Mary Jane, and she accidentally ate some of Mary Jane's pot brownies at the beginning of the story. <laughs> that's why. That explains everything. Okay, so now that we have marijuana smoking 80-year-old women in this story, let's move on. <laughs> yes. The vulture is the penultimate villain for Spidey. Uh, they tussle among the chimneys and the rooftops, and Spider-Man gets a rope looped around the vulture and pulls himself up hand over hand in a scene very reminiscent of the space capsule from uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one. After a Ditko splash page winds up the fight, Spider-Man... Ow. Gets... Yeah. Look at the vulture's foot in that splash page. Oh, oh Ow. God. Lord. You know, we've had <laughs> criticisms from letter writers about Ditko being unable to draw feet. He can draw feet, he just can't draw them, you know, where they look healthy looking. <laughs> it, actually, it actually kind of looks like Spider-Man just kicks it out of, out of place. Yeah, it's, it's it's just weird. It's it's a weird gyration for his leg. Oh, well, his vulture cap shouldn't be bending that direction for one thing, but then his foot shouldn't be bending that direction either. It's bad. And then on the <laughs> next page, Spider-Man reveals his true feelings for the vulture. Look at that first panel. My gosh! Oh, again with this? <laughs> spider hump count five. We're on the spider hump watch. Day 16. 
<laughs> we, had, we had one with, uh, I'm pretty sure we had one with Walter before. Exactly we 60 it. seconds later. Oh, take from that what you will. <laughs> exactly. uh, he's like swinging away, go clean yourself up. <laughs> I'll, I'll call you. I just followed you out like a Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> this is what happens when you podcast at 2.16 in the morning Yeah, no doubt <laughs> <laughs> Everything's uh, funny <laughs> And everything's sexual <laughs> so, With men Spider-Man takes what he can get from the vulture Including a card And whatever else we're going to read into it And he swings away, happy as a clam Leaving the vulture webbed to a flagpole Dr. Octopus excuses himself from the lady's presence because Spider-Man is on his way there. But what about <laughs> us? Don't worry, Miss Brandt. I'll be back. Yeah. Mrs. Parker, what are you supposed to mean by that? <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> she was, like, she was just like, like, like doing her best, I don't know, stereotypical Asian impression or something. But <laughs> Betty has a very, very classic Ditko face, which is, you know... This guy is going to assault us if you don't get, get the f out of here right now. And I'm just like, it's all cool, son. Just chill back. It's but like that, that that dialogue, like, don't worry. What do you suppose he means? That fits so well into our like fan theories about issues eleven and twelve. <laughs> go, go on, John. We, we're gonna get through this. I promise. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm kind of hollowed out by this point. This, um, this is like the vulture. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Octopus arrives and enters what appears from the outside to be an old... Spider-Man. Doctor, Spider-Man arrives. I had a he. I put on the wrong he. At Latveria for some reason. Yeah. That's a fun dune. It's, it's really weird. Like, this, this, these plush rooms we've been seeing from the inside, from the outside, is actually a big old castle imported to this country stone by stone. He sees Otto Octavius walking around without his metal arms. Now, Spider-Man, of course, hasn't seen him since he broke out, so he is caught unawares when the arms come up from behind and attack. He clocks Otto a solid, but Otto gets away while the arms chase Spider-Man into a giant goldfish bowl-style tank full of water. I guess you just have these. Oh, that's, what I was, that's what I was saying. You, know, you, know, you never know we might need one. Otto puts on his arms and an air tank and goes after Spider-Man in the water. Woohoo! Just like a real octopus is what he says. Which, Between the wasp and these people, they really got to take a step back. You know, yeah, yeah, like, he's, he's pretty roided out in that picture, too. <laughs> I know. Like, like every like um, delineation on his muscular musculature is like lined out like you've never seen dr octopus this jacked uh in 1964 dude he's he he went to the back and took some steroids he's like that may parker chick is hot i gotta look my best oh he was he was in prison like you know he had a six-pack abs he was like you know without his arms you could see him doing sit-ups like mm, like like eddie brock prison changed me may oh Otto, tell me about it it's prison's not a place for a man with four metallic arms but you got prison sculpted abs Ooh. So there's a very cool Prison splash page. Prison And to believe that you were asleep an hour ago. Yeah, I know. There's a very cool I'm splash sorry, page though. of the water attack. Spidey gets the upper hand by shooting a whole bunch of webbing into the water toward the arms, which ends up waving so much they get tangled in all the webs. This will not be the last Spider-Man Doctor Octopus underwater fight. Really? In the yeah, the Master, Master Planner. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. was also then that was also the save Aunt May. God, <laughs> Stanley. <laughs> <I, laughs> 
<laughs> oh, man. More beeping. So, Spidey is able to escape. He finds Betty and May. Betty is, of course, happy to see him, but May is offended. After such a nice afternoon with a genteel, well-spoken hunk of an octopus, Spider-Man's barging into the room without knocking is simply uncouth. Thank God, he's still your clothes on. At which point, Peter finally has enough of Aunt May's stuff and punches her dead in the face. <laughs> That's it! <laughs> and, and, and here's the best quote, the best quote of the entire issue. Aunt May says, I'm afraid I don't understand any of this. <laughs> Just think, Miss Parker, we're safe. She's like, uh... I don't even know what's it, going on. Too much don't weed. To bring a towel. That was some strong... Sh- I don't I know, know what hit, Mrs. Watson needs. It's in the back of those brownies, but they're awesome. Look, 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 look in the back of her hat. That's where it all. That's where she puts it all. <laughs> the entire hat is made Why of Why is she dressed like she's going to church? Because <laughs> Aunt May, she always dresses like she's going to church. She dresses Peter like he's going to church every, every time he goes to school. Okay, so Spidey lets them know that he's called the police, so they'll be safe. He leaves, and Betty's thought balloon tells us all the secrets of how Spidey keeps his identity a secret. He's, like, leaving, and she's like, yeah, I'd love to know who Spider-Man really is, but beneath that disguise, he could be anybody, and his mask muffles his voice so that it's almost unrecognizable, just yeah. for all the new readers again. That, and you, have the, that and you have the mental block. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Aunt May says, you know, stop using that horrible slang, you horrible young person. And Donovan no, gets annoyed. No, Aunt May, like, is, like, sabotaging this relationship. She's doing whatever she can to embarrass Peter in front of Betty. Yeah, he's uh, rather gobsmacked at how well May took the whole thing. Her worst upset now is that she missed the Beverly Hillbillies, for which she's been waiting all week. Oh, and Peter. I, th- I, th- I think it was I Magnum P.I. and Marvel pe- Tales. <laughs> Magnum, really? Oh, God. I think it was. I could <laughs> In Untold but, Tales? Yeah. No, Marvel Tales. No, they no, changed but... it for the reprint? Yeah, Marvel Tales changed changed the, some of the topical references. Oh, wow. See, the classic X-Men, X-Men classic book, they didn't change anything. They were a pretty faithful reprint of the X-Men stuff. But, of course, that was late 70s, early 80s X-Men stuff, not 1964. Aunt May sabotaging Peter. Oh, Peter, I had to fix those pants that you had that accident in the other day. Betty, <laughs> look at these pants. <laughs> well, she says at one point, you know, like, I know how nervous you are being all alone in the house. And he's like a high school senior. I know, I, I'm, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like, doing like, Peter, like the why, do you, why do you have all those muscle magazines under your bed? <laughs> I, I, I bet you that, like, once, like, Peter leaves the room, like, Aunt May's like, oh, I heard Peter was walking home with that Liz Allen girl. Oh, well. <laughs> 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 she goes up to her room. She's got this Betty Brant doll. She starts poking it with pins. Soon, my dear. Soon. <laughs> Mary Jane will prevail. <laughs> like when she sees Peter and um, Betty like walking down the street, she looks out the window like it's from side to Chucks a rock at Betty's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter! It was that horrible Spider Man. <laughs> so all of this amazingness wraps up. It all ends happy, actually, with Peter's two best gals mooning over his cuteness. <laughs> it's kind of weird, actually. Craven's somehow in jail. Yeah, we do get a closing panel for JJJ's stress, and for all the villains in jail, and a final ad reminding us to check out Spidey's origin in the Marvel Tales annual, and that's it. Craven and, and, never got and, arrested. And the first reference in this issue of my ulcer having ulcers. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. At the end, Peter realizes that all this happened because Aunt May was worried that he looked depressed. So he says, I must always appear chipper from now on. What a life to lead. He's like got to step on eggshells around this woman. He can't appear like even like, you know, not chipper without her going crazy. That's uh. oh, Peter, you look worried. Uh, no, I'm fine. Got to sing. Got to dance. <laughs> Once again, notice Betty Brant being completely at ease with Spider-Man. And we kind of talked about this in past episodes that it was. There's kind of this retcon going around that after, you know, Spider-Man quote-unquote killed her brother, Betty just hated Spider-Man till the day she died, but she doesn't it's, seem... It's, 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 it's a general impression that's not true to the actual fact. Yeah. Speaking of Spider-Man and, you know, the women, this is Aunt May's first meeting with Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. So that's the first there. Yep. Another thing about women is that Flash Thompson gets mad at Peter for walking Liz Allen home from school, so Peter is now walking Liz home from school instead of swinging over to the Bugle to see Betty. Hmm. Well, that could just be i think that it's really more like liz allen following him home oh yeah that could be that's true you know i mean and i think that they all live in the general same neighborhood so they kind of walk in each other's vicinities but yeah it's established that they're walking each other home that's what betty was mad about that's the thing that always gets to me is that uh, okay i understand he's he's dating betty brant but it always seemed like he had a thing for liz so it seems like the first time she showed interest he should hop on that and I mean mm-hmm. that in, like, more than one way. <laughs> she threw herself at him. It was, you know, the little... F- oh, and then the kids in the school saying, Peter's never missed a day. Not even to go to Hollywood or uh, Pennsylvania. Well, well they, they knew about that. I think that was, like, in Florida. Or <laughs> Florida. Oh, yeah. This kid that never even stays in the same state for more than a week. This is the first time that Dr. Octopus controls his arms remotely. Correct. Before Amazing Spider-Man 600, when he basically controlled the entire city, what would you say was the farthest he had ever been from his arms and still able to control them? I have I defer, no idea. I defer to J.R. Fettinger on this one. I was yeah. just curious if, if you had an idea. It doesn't matter. I mean, but yeah, it, it's you. I, I've seen it pretty far before, but I, I couldn't tell you. I've seen like the arms like... I don't want to say be in a separate state, but, like, they'll, like, go into the him like a homing beacon without him realizing it. In fact, wasn't that what was going on in, like, the Fantastic Four story or something? Whatever. What, no, what? no, no. I was thinking of that Fantastic Four story where Sue's miscarrying her second child. But that was something else. There, But there was a Spider-Man story where Spider-Man was, like, just fighting the arms and Dr. Octopus was, like, somewhere else catatonic. Now, did we talk about on page nine where after Peter leaves for school, he's all upset because he's lost his powers? And she, Anne May sits there and says, it can't have anything to do with school. He's the top student in his class. Perhaps it's that girl he's been seeing, Betty Brandt. I wonder if anything is wrong between them. And if not, I'll make something wrong in between them. Right, like she's dreaming up reasons <laughs> to put them apart. Well, and she blames Betty the, the, like, the, the second that she hears that he's not at school because, and for her line of thinking, Betty dropped out of high school. Ergo, if Peter is skipping school, it's because school's not important to Betty, so she's making it not important to Peter. Or he's now, this getting is... an anatomy lesson from her. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. If you know what I'm saying. I do love Aunt May's line, I understand more than you think. And if it was done in a story nowadays, it would be like, wow, it's so deep. Aunt May knows everything, but no, here, no, no. No, she's totally <laughs> vapid. Okay, right. then we get to my favorite part of the issue, a gallery of Spider-Man's most famous foes. The burglar. He even gets his own font style. And he's yeah, got this... like one eye smaller than the other. Yeah, and he's he looks like he's drunk, basically. <laughs> you all get away from me. He is. He's holding himself up against the wall. He can barely stand. <laughs> but that is uh that is kind of the 
the cool thing about this annual and annuals in this era in general is the fact that you got all this extra stuff. And for like the next couple of page pages, you get all of Spider-Man's uh, villains. You get the chameleon with a, a JFK mask in the background. Um, there's there's this mask that looks like John F. Kennedy, I think. Yeah, it really does. You're that Donovan, You're going to love the, the Vulture's description. Fandom will never forget, forget the first the battle first. between the Vulture and Spider-Man. High above the towering skyscrapers they fought, the mysterious winged menace, and the teenage crime fighter who had never yet battled so dangerous, so powerful a foe. Actually, it was in this epic battle that Spider-Man is said to have truly undergone his baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. His, and then his baptism of fire, I love it. Then we have the terrible tinker. <laughs> now it's funny because this continues to say that he was Spider-Man's first extraterrestrial menace, his first yes. alien menace Spider-Man's ever fought, which of course uh-huh. is not true. Retcon. You know, I think that um I've seen this before. I think that's actually put in another essential because I, I remember yeah, that for some I think stupid it is. reason it may they be. put the tinker in a list and like another essential like going back a page to the chameleon. Uh, we do have another chapter in the ongoing Spider-Man retcon saga because it has first appeared in the Amazing Spider-Man number one. A new era in comicdom was born with the interest of chameleon. The title Amazing Fantasy was changed to the Amazing Spider-Man, and Spidey fought his first colorful foe. But that's what? not true. There was a six-month gap between Amazing yeah. Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man. And if they changed the name, do you think it would say Amazing Spider-Man number 16 or something like that? Yes. It's a new title. Yeah. That's what they did with Thor and everything else. Like, you know, when well, you know why they just, did that, don't you? It's canceled? It's dark, to scare people away. No. Um, they continued the numbering because it cost more for postal rates of a new magazine than, a, than an already existing one. Like, oh, to set up the distribution through the post office and everything of how magazines are shipped, you have to, you have to set up a new account basically for every new magazine you do and that costs extra money so what they did is they just continued the the numbering from the old book and basically kind of slipped it under there because through the 40s and 50s marvel was constantly revamping their books changing the titles changing the entire concept but keeping the number exactly and that's why that's interesting i knew i knew they had done it. i didn't know why I have heard that um, back in this era of comics, a number one book was not likely to sell as well as an already established book. Yeah, yeah, back before, you know, collecting was a consideration of it. You know, if a book if a book was number one, it's like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be any good. Oh, this book's got like number 275. That must have been around a while. I'm going to read this. So different mindset. It's probably all the black and white TV back then, a lot of people's brains. Now you're, you're also talking about an era where comic publishers in, in the letters columns discouraged trading back issues because it could spread disease. So <laughs> there you go. We also have the Doctor Octopus page and the Sandman page, where he's standing uh, behind the rising sun of Japan. Yoo-hoo! Doctor Doom, not even his villain. Yeah, not even really his villain. The lizard. I just look at him and say, you're going to eat your son. (laughs) I still haven't read those issues. The living brain. You're not missing much. Wait, 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 wait. The living brain's in this thing? Yes. Yes, yes. Batman definitely has better villains than Spider-Man. As is a (laughs) And the the enforcers and the big man. Big man was only in one story. 
But yeah, but Donovan, like this is annual one. They're including every single villain, pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. point. And then in the Fantastic Four annual too, they did everything up through. Is, is Blacky Gaxon in, in one of the the, the lists? Or something? No, they they skip him. In fact, they skip from issue ten to issue thirteen. The Green yeah. Goblin. I love that picture of him, by the way. It is a great picture of the Goblin. These are these were probably cut out by kids and put on their walls because I would have done that if I wasn't really caring about the book. They really the need to release these as uh, high-quality pinups. We have Craven, and then we have nine pages on the secrets of Spider-Man. And this is basically your Bible to how Spider-Man's powers and gimmicks work from now mm-hmm. all the way until, I guess, the 80s when he changes his yeah, costume. I got this, yeah. I, I got to take issue with the the part where they're they're comparing they try and teach you about Spider-Man's web so they compare each asset of his web to a power of the Fantastic Four and uh-huh. well you don't like it Sue disappears so okay, she's yeah, Sue, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to complete our comparison with the Fantastic Four Spidey's webbing disappears into nothingness after one hour has elapsed being as impossible to find as the Invisible Girl that's, that's, Come on. that's what I call reaching re- grasping at straws I, I would that's, think yeah that that's grasping. In the Marvel Universe, there's like an episode of the Mythbusters trying to dispel all of the things in here, like as a shield, (laughs) as a parachute, a safety net, a raft. Jeffrey mentioned how he absolutely hates the uh, web parachute. He thinks, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, a barrier. Look at look at that barrier. He's gonna cause a car crash. And then, like, if it if it was updated today, they would do the whole, all the stuff you can do in the game, like you know, make that barrier that explodes and the impact weapon and everything. All they did, they did do an update of this, I believe. In the yes, it was that Web of Spider-Man annual where it was um shortly after Peter and Mary Jane got married. It was everything you wanted to know about Spider-Man, and they actually did like almost a uh, panel for panel read make of this uh like of this nine page thing and he had the black costume cool that that was a really cool annual and it did and it kind of did that thing where they spotlight different villains and they spotlight lots of villains and obscure villains too and almost every member of the supporting cast i like the fact that in the spider sense section they explain why they put the lines around his around his face yeah. Now, the spider sense here is described as merely a sort of radar sense. That he's impossible to sneak up on because he knows you're behind him. All the electronic communication abilities they've already used are completely left out. And the general danger sense notion that we usually have about the spider sense isn't even mentioned. Just that he can tell if people are near him because of radar. Daredevil. Daredevil. We are told that of Marvel's current pantheon, only the Hulk, the Thing, and Thor are currently stronger than Spider-Man. And he's still a young boy, so he that, that could change as he gets stronger and older. Yeah, he, when he when he gets into an adult, a parkour runner can beat him up. So just just you wait. Yeah, it's the parkour luck. Parkour. Seems no one saw that episode of The Office, did they? Parkour. Yes, yes, I have. Parkour. That was funny. He's like jumping I, all over everybody's everything, and he's like parkour. I like how they explain though, like why he has half a mask and why he has the radar things. Because whenever, even though it's it should be assumed, whenever I show a Spider-Man comic to like a, a child who has never seen one before, I always get the same question: Why is he wearing half? a mask right now yeah honestly when i was a kid that that honestly did like confuse me but because i was stupid i think this is the actual first time that we get his eyepieces explained i don't think they've talked about the whole two-way mirror thing before this and that was actually one thing i really they don't do it very often at all in spider-man art but one of the ways you're going to get me to drool over spider-man art is having reflections in his eyes Okay. There was um there was a it, there was an episode of the Spectacular Spider Man I think it was the Lizard episode at one shot at one point he turns around as the Lizard is running towards him but you see the reflection in his eyes it was really it sounds kind of mundane but it was actually really cool the way they animated it because it was a lot like a comic book 
Actually, like speaking of the lizard, like in like one of the recent lizard issues, or he's getting beat up. I mean, this this is not a spoiler, but his his costume gets ripped up, and the mask part is ripped up, and the eye parts of his mask are not glass; they are part of the cloth, which was dumb. Yeah. Yeah, be but, the glass by now. but but Donovan, remember, if somebody gets their you know costume ripped up, it's it means that they're mm-hmm. an empowered person. So we get some more one pagers with Jonah and Betty. We have a solo pinup of Spidey, Flash and the classmates. Look Peter- at Betty; her name is on her shirt. <laughs> if it's all the curly cues, it really is. It, it it that was like before Laverne and Shirley. She should have a little uh hello my name is tag. She got that second hand. From from old Aunt Betty. We get Flash in the class maze. We have Peter's house in Forest Hills. Have we mentioned that it's in Forest Hills before this? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember it was established. I'm not sure we do in, in the next issue. It's Ryan Man Fan Club, Forest Hills chapter. But that's the next issue though. And issue seventeen. Finally is a three-pager entitled How Stan Lee and Steve Ditko Create Spider-Man. It's a comedy piece intended to showcase how Ditko creates the art for a panel while ragging on Stan's nutty plot-writing habits. It's actually a really fun little read. I like how the spiders are using the pencils to draw Spider-Man in the first page. And the second and the second reference of even my ulcers have ulcers. They did a direct spoof of this in Untold Tales of Spider-Man Annual One. They? Yeah, it, 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 like the pan the paneling was similar and the ending was very similar and it was how they create. It, it was a tribute to this. I, yeah, I love the ending when they say, "Next time we'll tell you how we re- how we created John Romita." <laughs> I thought that was kind of really funny. Well, it's kind of cool if you don't. I mean, because you you do get and it's the comedy. You get some serious look at how Ditko develops art for a pay, for a panel. Yeah, but it's completely unrealistic because there's no I- Ayn Rand books on the bookshelf. There's <laughs> there's no complaining about how A is A and the world is black and white. And he's just not crazy enough for me. This is yeah, true. Maybe this is before all this. This is Stanley writing Steve Ditko. You know this wrong. Right. <laughs> Stanley's just pulling out the the parts of Steve Ditko that he likes for the for the script, or he, or he thinks people would like. Gentlemen, was the first Spider-Man annual. 72 pages of goodness. It was all new material, no reprints, unlike annuals 6 through 10. And um, oh. <laughs> I, I liked really it a did lot. Like it. It's, it's a big, fun... It's it's like that Daredevil story. It's a, it's a big, fun superhero story. I mean, really and truly, if you were like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old when this book came out, this thing would have been like the thing you read over and over and over again. And it probably took you days to read it simply because there's so much material in there. Right. So much stuff to just get you excited about the book. And I really dig that. I really like that. I like the fact that this was a time when if there was an annual, it, it was, it was there to give you something extra to read because you know i really wish they would get back to this i really wish they would get back to making this things this exciting instead of having annuals that are kind of meh they're just oversized issues that are extra to publishing schedule yeah and they don't always mean a whole lot but yeah there there was actually before we completely wrap everything up there was a comment i wanted to throw in um back whenever he's calling captain america Jonah Jameson is going around calling everyone, and Captain America says, I've never even met Spider-Man. Didn't they do an annual recently that had the first meeting between Cap and Spider-Man? Yeah, but it took place after their, like, Avengers meeting. I think that was supposed to be their first solo meeting in that annual. Okay. It was in a bathhouse, so no one was really comfortable with talking about it. Yeah, it's... Mm, I agree, this is a really good issue. Um, it's probably a great one to hop on Spider-Man, but kind of like how Jeffrey was disappointed with uh, J. Jonah Jameson's reasons for not liking Spider-Man. Spider-Man loses 
loses his powers, and then the next time he puts his costume back on, he gets them again after being hit by a strike of lightning. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I know. I know that there's a lot of stuff to put in this issue, and there's a lot of villains and everything. But I kind of I think this one would be more memorable if Lee had kind of drug out the no powers thing because this is the first time he loses his powers. Yeah, it is. In fact, my first Spider-Man story was a powerless story. My first uh, after these first twenty, my first off the shelf story. Speaking By of the these way. first twenty, this uh, my collections did not have this annual. So like the Strange Tales annual, this was sort of like a um, holy grail. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man stories I had never read. So whenever I finally got to read it a couple years ago, it was really, really cool. And now it's kind of like a special place in my in my Spider-Man love because it really is an awesome story. Mm-hmm. When they adapted this for the 90s show, they at least made the Aunt May kidnapping thing more believable by Dr. Octopus actually having a cover story and by them actually setting up a fake doctor's office. But there was some weird touches like Mysterio disguising himself as a plant. You can get away with that. I yeah. thought she never leaves. <laughs> Mysterio disguises himself as a plant. Everybody has trench coats for some reason. They even give a trench coat to Peter just to keep up appearances. Well, because and, he's got – yeah. And he, he gets hit by Shocker's Blast, which you know prompts him to you – know, Shocker's Blast should have creamed me. That only must mean one thing. I have my spider powers back. It's like he gets the same thing with Electro. Right, because, yeah, Shocker took a... Yeah, the Sinister Six. We should talk about the many incarnations that they go through. Sinister they, Seven, Sinister Twelve, Scorpia, who's pointless. <laughs> Venom was in the Sinister Six in the Mackie Byrne reboots. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they, he was. They, they swapped Craven out for Hobgoblin at one point, which I, I'm still pissed because Craven never got arrested and he's in jail with the others at the end. Well, speaking of Craven, that's just this little side note here. I had said a couple episodes back that Craven swam back to shore with the chameleon immediately after being deported. <laughs> yeah. But that I found out since then that that happened until the suspense 58, which actually wouldn't be published until a month after this book. So when you read this book, the last time you saw Craven, he was getting deported to South Af- South America. So it's kind of crazy, but. The, he probably the, got deported again. No, the, the reading of that <laughs> scene in Tales of Suspense puts it between these two. It only makes sense that way. And the, the official index with Spider-Man chronology they had last year puts it that way, too. So, But still, it, it was published out of order. Yeah. Now, the Green Goblin's never been on the team, right? No. Well, unless you count that, like, Sinister 12. What, wasn't he on, like, the Sinister 12 from the Marvel Knights run, Donovan? I was, I was going to say, either, like, but was he included in 12, or did he bring about 12 other villains? He either brought them about, or he was included in them. I haven't read that story since it first came out. I, I actually it, read it a few weeks ago, but I don't remember. It's funny because there actually was not any Sinister Six stories from this story until... The 90s. Uh, yeah, the 90s with, with Eric Larson on the book with yeah. uh, David Michelini. Or how, how do I pronounce it? Michelini? Michelini is how yeah. you pronounce it. It's yeah. really weird because it's like um, – I mean was like until the 90s show, were, were there ever any Sinister Six things in the cartoons or something? No. I doubt it. It's really weird. I mean, and the yeah, by the time they brought them back, Craven was dead, so they replaced him with a uh, hobgoblin, and that was like the Jason Mackendale demonic hobgoblin. And since then, it's just you've had Sinister Sixes, Sinister Sevens, Sinister Twelve. It's but it's odd, like like like. Ones. <laughs> it's Sinister Three, yeah. Sinister Syndicates. Oh, any other closing thoughts on the book? Uh, awesome. Really liked it. Did not like Spider-Man losing his powers only to have him again. But I mean, th- th- this is the first time in a while that we've we've like been reminded of it, of his origin, which uh, I know Mike doesn't care for. But uh, I, th- I thought all, all along was it was pretty solid. And... I don't think it's so much that I don't care for it. It's just they did it a thousand times, just in case you just picked up the book for the first time. Yeah. Right. 
Any special Spider-Man event, they would take that opportunity to remind you of his origin. They do it in Spectacular Spider-Man number one in 1968 and several times between now and then. I love how uh, in <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man issue 275, Mary Jane's like, you never told me your origin. He's like, I'll do it right now. And then the book just stops dead right there and they reprint Amazing Fantasy 15. <laughs> and I don't mean like they do a flashback with the same pan. I mean, they actually reprint it with the Steve Ditko art in the middle of the issue and then end it and have and say, and that's my origin, Mary Jane. Wait, 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 wait. because like I remember, I remember like in the in the 30th anniversary issues. I think it was a uh, spectacular, like it was a Mark Bagley drawn issue, but it was it wasn't the Lizard Amazing issue. It was something else. Like he does the same thing, or like he tells her the origin or whatever. So I just want to thank you again, uh, Michael, for being with us for these two episodes. Um, go ahead and give your uh, your web presences a quick pimp bitch so let everyone know what you're doing. Uh, I've got Views from the Long Box at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. That's my main podcast. I also do Tales of the JSA and Back to the Bins with Scott Gardner. You can find those at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Also do From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast with my good friend Jeffrey Taylor. And you can find that at both the supermanhomepage.com and fortressofbailey2.com. And once a month, except for last month when I uh, had to going to work uh, that day um i am on the spider panel for the spider-man crawl space at www.spidermancrawlspace.com and i do have to uh give you a special thanks because from crisis to crisis superman podcast was my first podcast and it introduced me to the world of comic book podcasting so no <laughs> so i crisis. set the bar low great <laughs> <laughs> Which is the whole, you know, no kick-ass, no red mist kind of thing. So, wrapping up June in early July. With June behind us, we now have 16 issues of Amazing Spider-Man down and 619 to go. And Mr. Bertoni, what do we have next month? Next month, well, Flash Thompson does a little bit of a Marsha Brady, Davy Jones type thing, just in telling everyone that Spider-Man's going to be at his big party, because Spider-Man's just got to be there. Will it have the same ending as Marsha Brady's story did? You'll have to find out. Plus, we're going to meet one of the most punch-happy supporting characters in all of Spider-Man's history, Ned Leeds. All right! Yeah. And Peter crosses a line with Liz that does not make Betty happy. That's right. Liz Allen touches Peter Parker's hair, and boy, is Betty Brant going to be pissed. And I'm not exaggerating. That 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 is how it happens. <laughs> oh, we'll go over it. The wasp shows up for one panel to remind us that spiders and wasps are natural enemies. I wish I was joking about that, too. All this and more on the next Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Dun-dun-dun-dun! If you want to email the show, we are at AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics. There are also lots of images and funny notes at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com. And thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night.
welcome fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a pain, you'll find the Spider-Man. Oh, and there's there's the terrible tinker, or, or as I like to call him, Herbert the Pervert. I'm not kidding. I look He's at that. I, I, it's just the way Ditko draws it. It's like I'm the tinkerer. What can I do for you, my boy? Oh, dude, yeah. He's at, like his. The oh way, yes. The way he's drawn. Doctor Copwell. Just a minute. I'll get it. Come down to my basement. I got some popsicles. Whoever. <laughs> <laughs> mm. mm. See, I can't do this. The most Nyquil first wins. Are you a pedophile? So the He's caption like, is France, we meet again. <laughs> Still think I'm too good not to talk to. <laughs> so the caption reads can No I... brother the walk in on us this time and stop us. <laughs> oh sorry, go. <laughs> <gasps> Mr. Sandman. Bring yes. me a dream. <laughs> yes, boom, 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 boom. Make us the cutest that I've ever seen. <laughs> Give her two lips like roses and clovers. And tell, and her, tell her that my lonesome nights are over. over. <laughs> Mr. Sandman. <laughs> See, I did try to bring out the California girls in the last episode, and I couldn't get it in because y'all were talking too much. Well, the, 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 the listeners can't see, but we're all wearing stri- straw hats, and we have canes, we're you know mincing around like it was 1940s. Yeah. <laughs> earth angel earth angel reach just discovered like this whole air er- this whole uh alternate universe where everyone's naked we're gonna go hang out there for a <laughs> <laughs> it's called sexopia <laughs> <laughs> and the fantastic four were never seen again <laughs> <laughs> I never came there. Where they have to fight the supervillain, Clemidax. Me, so. me and John are looking at each other and saying, uh, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> this isn't fighty enough. Fight more. Be more fighty. More you need to fight more. Call him fat. Insult his intelligence. Yo, mother. Say the Beatles suck. No, that Scott <laughs> would yell at me, so I can't. So there you go. Is that Boo? No, we're it's boring Mike. him. What? <laughs> Someone was snoring. I'm sorry, guys. It's like 1.30 in the morning. I apologize. <laughs> Did you fall asleep? <laughs> I pulled a Will Sanchez, yes. There have been several references to you sleeping since you slept, and I can edit all that out of the show if it's if it makes you feel bad, because I, I was going to, but now we've referenced it several times, so I wasn't sure what it's, I... It's okay. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's already on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It was... is already on Facebook. I broke the story. Oh, yeah. In Spaceballs, Prince Valium. Yeah. <laughs> Come back. Oh.